0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Happy Mother's Day to all the uh Moms out there, hope everybody had a chance to uh, spend time with their moms, if possible, and if not, had, had you know uh, had the opportunity to to think about them in some positive way. Um, obviously, this was a very positive last few days. If you're a Washington Commanders fan, of course, on Friday we got news in the afternoon that Dan Snyder and Josh Harris have gone exclusive on their negotiations. For the team, which is putting it a big step closer to the team being sold uh, to Harris, and more specifically, not being owned by Dan Snyder. Um, I'll get to some of the, my thoughts on that, and where, and, and some things to cons- to consider right now. Uh, in addition, I'll share you got, share some thoughts with you from what I thought I would be talking about mostly, and that is. Uh, Friday's rookie minicamp, Emmanuel Forbes made the kind of play that you wanted to see based on um, the hype as to why Washington picked him. We'll talk a little about Eric Biannimi and some other uh, aspects as well. And in addition, I want to discuss the process because the Philadelphia 76ers were eliminated from the playoffs today, and obviously Josh Harris owns that team. And there was a lot of talk about the process and whether it has whether it failed or not. Uh, considering the Sixers have not been able to get out of the second round um, with this group, and I want to explain why this is a for those who are saying yes, what you're missing the point, and this is relevant from the standpoint of that Josh Harris is you know we believe is coming here to be the owner, and therefore maybe not this is going to happen. Maybe not. I don't know if they're going to do a process in terms of like a rebuild, but just in terms of how to think about some of these angles that teams take, I think it's, I want to share my thoughts if I could as well. I guess I can. It's my podcast. Um, All right. All that said, we'll get to that in a moment here on the standard room only podcast, which of course, you can find on iTunes or anywhere you do your podcasting. You can also, of course, find my work on The Athletic. I, part of the reason why I'm, I'm only getting to this podcast today and why I haven't written about the rookie camp, there will be something up on Monday morning, is obviously the news of the day on Friday. And I wrote a story or an essay, I should say, on that about what it means that we've that we reached this point with the Dan Snyder era. Uh, you can check that out on The Athletic. It is, I believe, literally... Two bucks a month, 50 cents a week, however you want to look at it right now. So if you click on any of my articles, hit the subscribe button, and you can get all that goodness along with everything else that we have on the website. Of course, follow me on Twitter as well, at Ben Standig. All right. Uh, all right. Obviously, the fundamentals are this, as I said. Snyder and the Josh Harris Group have reached an exclusive agreement. That, that agreement is now being forwarded to the league and the league will examine the details in that agreement. Now, the league has been looking at what at the Snyder and Harris negotiations for over a month now since on April 13th when we first heard that they'd reached an agreement in principle um, and they've been more involved in a typical sales process before signed a agree- signed agreement. I think my, my colleague Dan Kaplan had told me he had spoke to somebody who had never heard of anyone getting the league involved before an agreement was signed. But as we know, there's some complications with this deal, Dan with Dan Snyder, of course, but really on both ends um, to an extent. Let's just start with the good news. Prior to Friday... Despite all the conversations we've been having about this team being sold, despite all the reporting, despite all the rumors, despite Jason Wright saying it's going to happen, all of these things, the one person we had not heard one time state that they were open to selling the team, that they were definitely selling the team, is Dan Snyder. Back in November, they issued a statement that they're getting Bank of America involved and that they will you know, explore possible transactions. We immediately, of course, took that to mean a sale. And no doubt, that's where things were, were going. But that's the last we had heard effectively from Dan Snyder on this topic. And he has never, before yesterday, or before Friday, said they were actually going to sell. And I do think that's a fundamentally important point. Because we'll see what happens here over the next few weeks or months. With the NFL, the Finance Committee, as they look through this agreement to see what's there and, and what um, what if it's a, can, something that can be approved or not. But Dan Snyder saying he is going to sell is ultimately what we're all been waiting for if you've been waiting for Dan Snyder to sell. And I, that's why I think this is so important, even if this drags out for a bit or even if there's still some lingering confusion – And I think that's why it's fine. You know, I totally understand. There's some people I know who are unwilling to celebrate, as it were, until it is a signed, done deal. I totally get it. But what's interesting is, like, I don't think, I don't see how this thing can go backwards at this point because the league is probably going to have to figure out ways to get this done, regardless of which way there may be some fundamental issues with the deal. So, In the case of Dan Snyder, what we don't know is, has the indemnification issue been resolved? We don't know. Just hours before the agreement, ESPN had a report saying that Dan Snyder was trying to limit the scope of, or not the scope, but limit the amount of the Mary Jo White investigation that's to be released. We know Roger Goodell has multiple times said that they're going to release the full report. Dan Snyder... Not surprisingly, is not excited probably to have the whole thing out there. Whatever that means, I don't know, of course, but he that that that's been the reporting. He also, you know, wants at least at, at least did, I don't know if he still does, but presumably he still does. He wants the indemnification should there be future uh fines or other ramifications that come from these various investigations. The league doesn't seem to be that excited about doing so. In fact, I don't think that's really something they would do. The question is, to what degree can they, what can they allow to feel that they're not setting a precedent, but it's also getting rid of Dan Snyder? Because ultimately, that is the thing. As much as the fan base wants him out, I think the league and the owners do as well. He's been a massive headache, as I mentioned in my story there's still a question for the NFL to answer, including why have they enabled Dan Snyder to get away with as much as he's gotten away with over the years. But Dan Snyder is the one he threw his actions that put Washington in these terrible headlines. You know, he oversaw the franchise, whether he ultimately participated in any form of harassment or not. I'm not saying he has, I'm just saying regardless of any of that, he allowed that behavior to take place in the building that he you know owns and runs and oversees that you know the, all of that is is terrible. Um, but he but because he did these things, we that le- led to the various investigations, the congressional investigation, the Beth Wilkinson investigation, etc. So all of this comes even having Roger Goodell, uh, having to uh, give testimony to the oversight committee. All of these things happen because of Dan Snyder. So is the NFL really going to look to go back? How bad would it have to be? How egregious would, would be the terms of this deal or Dan Snyder's demands be for them to say, we can't do this? That I mean, it's almost hard to be imagined at this point, but that's a question. And on the Josh Harris side of things, the wonder has been, is he able to maintain 30% of ownership, which is a requirement from the league? not borrow more than $1.1 towards this deal and still get this done? That's been the basic question that we've had. Now, they got this deal done, but I think there's still been some questions whether this is possible. If you heard my show the other day with Dan Kaplan, our business um, insider for the, our sports business insider, I should say, for The Athletic, he, um, he said that, there may be some unusual uh, situations going on here with the loan. Maybe even something where Dan Snyder lends uh, Josh Harris or his group some money in order to uh, to get the deal done. We don't know yet, and we won't know until the league has its say and, and goes through um, g- goes through its steps. Right, but again, is the league going to? Is the, is the league willing to? move on from some of its uh standards in order to get this done. I think that's an interesting question. So really you know, it's possible about Josh Harris and Dan Snyder, intentionally or not, have sort of, you know, almost dared the league here to to knock them on either end of the situation. Now, of course, we know that Dan Snyder originally got this team because the group that was led by Howard Milstein was deemed to be unacceptable as buyers, and that ultimately led to Dan Snyder becoming the main owner so we know that this could happen but at this point it just seems like that I don't know how the league is going to you know the league's got to find a way to get this done now whether that takes three weeks or three months I don't know but I wouldn't expect this to happen quickly it's not going to happen by the the upcoming uh, March meeting in Minnesota but I do think it will happen that's not a reporting that's a gut instinct Because again, I just don't see how the league is going to allow this to go backwards. Nonetheless, and and that's why I think people can be emotionally excited about this, even though, again, I understand why there are people who are like, yeah, not done yet. We'll wait and see. So we'll see about that. I will be, uh, the plan is for me to be in Minnesota for the next uh, meeting, uh, uh, May 22nd. So What will come of that? Who knows? But the owners will be there and hopefully we'll have a chance to speak to some of them and get a feel for where they are at at this point in that process. So uh, congrats to everybody who celebrated accordingly. Again, we're not there yet. I don't know when this is going to get done, but this was the big step, I think, and they've gotten this far. So now we wait and see what happens. Um, All right. So we'll, 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 we'll certainly talk more about about this, return. Sure. If you want to hear more about the questions that may be still lingering, go back and listen to my episode from uh, Thursday, Friday that uh, had multiple guests, including Dan Kaplan, and you can check that out. Um, speaking of that episode, I spoke to a uh, six-round pick uh, rookie running back Chris Rodriguez one-on-one in that episode um, and got a chance to see him out on the field this weekend because the commanders on Friday uh, was open practice for the media to watch the uh, the rookies, the undrafted free agents, the rookie tryouts, and some veteran holdovers to take the field Ian Ashburn. Um, I wrote about this, and again, I'll have it up on Monday, but a couple of takeaways that I just wanted to to mention. Uh, First off, let's talk about Emmanuel Forbes. Um, What do we know about him so far on a basic level? That the guy not only intercepts passes, but he takes them back to the house. And that he is super, super skinny. Both of those things uh, played out on Friday. Uh, Looking at Forbes, I mean, wow, he is thin. His legs, are—they're like no calves. There's like, you know, really no definition at all. Um, He is thin. But again, he avoided injury during his three years in the SEC, and that's obviously not a uh, you know a league for the weak. Uh, other you know, Fred Smoots talked about that he played. He entered the league at 172 pounds. Forbes was listed at 173 by the Commanders. Take that for what it's worth. I, I don't have a scale, um, so those those questions are going to are going to stay there for a while. Maybe till he plays three years in the league. Who knows? But the man is thin. It's not an exa- exaggeration but neither are the his, the talk about his instincts when it comes to jumping on passes. He did that we saw in um in practice this weekend. Now of course we get it. A lot of the guys out there we will never hear from again, even those who do make the 90-man roster. We may not hear about them after this summer, you know. There there was no you know, th- there was no like long, there was no star players out there or even starters or really anybody who was like on the bench last year for the most part. It was just, you know, rookies and guys who are hoping to, to to stick around. That said, doesn't mean, you know, sometimes people are in that spot and they don't thrive. And Forbes made a play on a pass from a uh, Fordham quarterback, Tim DeMorat and he just jumped the pass, picked it off. Now this was a seven on seven drill and they weren't, you know, playing full out anyway, but like, he brought he he inter he jumped the pass intercepted it and then didn't just look to l- look confused or puzzled or go down. He took off towards the far sideline and turned up the field and you know again if it was eleven on eleven and they were trying to tackle him you know I don't know if he's getting a touchdown but he had space he had room and you could see that type of playmaking and that's what of course Washington is looking for from him not just a um, n- not just a uh, a, a cornerback per se, but somebody who can really help them generate turnovers. Uh, Forbes also had a past deflection where he, you know, read, read a route and jumped it. So I think a pretty good display from Forbes, you know, I said this last week, I don't know if it was on here or Kevin Sheehan's podcast or somewhere, but like this, the, the rookie camps is not about seeing some great player like, or, or let me rephrase it. It's not about saying like making a de- definition on any kind of player but it is about at least getting a feel for who they are. And there have been times where that's been the good news, like Jahan Dotson last year, and other times not so good like Josh Dotson, and where those first impressions really stood out. I think Forbes did a pretty good job uh, in in this one. Um, so uh, uh, kudos to him. But, you know, again, it's only rookie camp. We'll see more when he's out there having to defend the Terry McLaurin's of the world. Uh, speaking of that, The other question with Forbes was, where's he going to play, right? Because you have Kendall Fuller and Benjamin St. Just on the outside. Well, they played Forbes almost exclusively, it seemed like, in the slot. This is without those guys out there. This is without – now, Quan Martin, the second-round pick, uh, who's going to be their nickelback or or could be in the nickelback discussion, he was not there for some personal reasons. And so they had Forbes inside. He made those plays I just mentioned from the slot – we have been wondering what's going to happen here when they go with three cornerbacks. Who's moving inside? I think. I think I certainly was guessing maybe the answer would be either Fuller or St. Just because they have experience there, whereas Forbes really didn't play in the slot at all uh, last year at Mississippi State. But is this is what rookie camp is for: test it out, Just, you know, see what see what you got. And they did that, and uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not here to say that overall he looked really good as a slot corner. And obviously, it's you know. Only a, uh, you know, limited practice against um, players who are probably going to be around. But nonetheless, they did get their first look at him. And in that, he made an interception and, uh, you know, had another good pass defense. So, interesting sign there. We'll see if that holds up. I-, I just think being inside with a lot of traffic doesn't seem ideal for a guy that thin. And you would maybe want his coverage instincts more on the outside. But at the same time, that that would mean moving uh, Fuller or St. Juice, And I don't know that the team wants to do that either. So, that is a question that remains, but nonetheless, they got a chance to see Forbes, and I think he delivered, uh, for sure. Um, a couple other names. Look, this is not a, these types of practices are not one for linemen, so, you know, I'm not going to say anything about, uh, Ricky Stromberg or Brandon Daniels. I mentioned previously that Juan Castillo would be working more with the offensive linemen, um. Obviously, a longtime offensive line coach, but here he was the tight end coach, but that was taking place on Friday. Um, same thing with the pass rushers. Yeah, you know, really not much to see as far as I could tell uh, in this one, um, but I will, and, and also the same with the running backs. Yeah, this is not a class. This is not a perfect setup for these uh, in, in terms of the observations and such at this point, but we'll see. Maybe we'll get more to look at with OTAs and so on. Uh, I mentioned Tim DeMorat before. He is the quarterback, you would probably say, is like the most likely practice squad guy if they think he's interesting. The, the team had four quarterbacks out there. DeMorat was the only one who – he's the only one who's on the 90-player roster, and he's the only one who was really consistently throwing down the field. He does have a big arm. He connected on a pass to uh, Jalen Sample, uh, a wide receiver from a small school wide receiver who I thought stood out um, – among those players. Uh, So those are two guys that I thought did some good things for sure. And then before we mentioned uh, in a previous episode, Casimir Allen, the running back receiver, returner from UCLA, I asked Ron Rivera if there's anybody out here who might be in play for the returner position. And he specified Allen directly that he was somebody they were trying to aggressively uh, work to get after the draft. So keep in mind on that. I wrote about the UDFAs, um, a week or so ago, and I also, or, or I guess it was after the draft, and I also did write about Allen in this new story, so you can check that out. Um, so that's where we're at for now. Again, they will be back at it on May 22nd through the 24th. We are as the media will be out there for one day, so that's we'll be waiting on that. Um. Last thing I want to get to, I guess, is I mentioned before, I want to discuss the process just for a couple seconds here. For those of you who are unfamiliar or, you know, just as a reminder, the quote-unquote, the process was what the Philadelphia 76ers owned then by, well, still owned, but owned by Josh Harris. That's what they labeled their aggressive rebuild. It was led by GM Sam Hankey. He was the architect behind this. And the difference between what the 76ers did and what teams typically do in a rebuild is they were, one, not shy about it. They promoted what they were doing. And the reason they were is because they wanted everybody to understand they weren't doing the normal type rebuild, right? What's the normal rebuild? It's when you, you know, you have, depending on the sport, but you trade away some of your older star players, get some assets for that, and then effectively, you know, Start from scratch, right? You, you, you're you're accepting, you know, without even saying it, you're kind of accepting there'll be maybe a lean year or two. You're going to get some uh, higher picks in the draft, build around the young guys, and then see where you are in a little bit of time. But when that happens, often it is sort of like picture like a three-year downturn and a team's like, okay, if I said to you, hey, you know, you're going to have a three-year downturn, but you're going to get the, you know, second pick, fifth pick and eighth pick in that stretch. Because for argument's sake, well, you know, NBA, NFL is a little bit different and this is an NBA team. So I guess think of it in the NBA terms to a degree. All that sounds reasonable, right? You can get you can get a core, a future core uh, team right there with those picks. But the point, but, but here's the thing, what the process did. Number one, the process understands that these picks don't always work. We all we, know, we all know the names for, you know, number one overall picks in whatever the sport who have failed who you know, on the pro level, right? If you're that team that I just mentioned, who had the second, fifth, and eighth pick, those picks better hit because that's kind of what you're relying on. Otherwise, you're going to have to stay in this bottom forever. But what the process did was admit that scouting human beings is not easy, that mistakes happen, that you, you know, you're having to project not only the talent, but the person. And for whatever the reason, sometimes these things don't work, even if everybody is in agreement that this player is a can't-miss prospect or what have you. So what the point of the process was was to give you multiple shots or as many shots as possible, I should say, at getting talent. And so what, this, what they did was they not only were losing games, but they were maximizing the lottery odds to ensure that they would get the best uh, spots possible. Okay. Uh, what a lot of teams will do is they're almost embarrassed to admit they're having the rebuild. We see this with the wizards, like Ted Leonsis keeps saying he refuses to, uh, tank rebuild because I guess he just, I don't know. He just doesn't fundamentally think people will accept it. The Sixers, they just flat out said they were going to do it. And then to let you know that they didn't try to get like a handful of veterans on the team to make the team look respectable. They went as bottom as at, bottom out as they possibly could, because this was the point to get as many high lottery picks as you could. But then they went to, to another step. Not only did they trade away players from their team to get other picks, some of it worked, work. Some of it didn't. They had drew holiday. That was probably not wise ultimately, but okay. But they're also willing to be a way station for other teams. Garbage. When a team has somebody who has a crappy contract or or whatever, the Sixers would say, "Fine, we'll take it, but you've got to give us X, Y, or Z as well, whether it's a pick or or a young player or something." And so they were continually, continually getting more and more and more assets, understanding that even if it doesn't, um, even if you know one guy doesn't work out, they'll have other chances to, to to strike gold. Well, they largely did do that, right? They ended up with Joel Embiid. Forget all the other picks that they did that didn't work out. Your Markel Fultes, your Jaleel Okafor's. I'm not even going to say Ben Simmons because they traded him for James Harden, but yes, Ben Simmons, if you want to say that too. But they did get Joel Embiid, one of the five best players in the league. Today's maybe not the day to tout Joel Embiid after the Sixers lost and he was not good. But, you know, they got a guy who's a future MVP and that was the whole point. You know, you can't just, even if you have... Top five picks year in, year out. You may never, ever get a guy as good as Embiid, and they did that. But here's why the process did not fail, even though the 76ers failed to get out of the second round again. Something They have not gotten past the second round this whole time with this, uh, under this iteration. But here's why it was not a – it was not uh, a, a – a, a, Uh, failure uh, to to use the Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, word. The process ended a long time ago. Sam Hankey, because the league was getting embarrassed by the constant, like not even trying to win era. They seemingly forced the Sixers to do something about this. So the Sixers effectively demoted Sam Hankey, brought in uh, Brian Colangelo and to be in charge. Colangelo eventually became um, Daryl Morey, who is the current GM. When that happened, that process ended because I mean, obviously the Sixers at some point, we're going to start trying to win and not just keep losing, but it wasn't Sam Hinky in charge anymore. And the group that came in took the stockpile of assets that, that Hinky had and made decisions and ultimately a lot of these decisions help prove sort of the point of the process, which is to say, it's not, you can't always guarantee whatever you do is going to work out. It was not Sam hinkey or the process that traded away the third pick in the draft, effectively Jason Tatum and a future number one pick that Hinky had acquired to move up to number one from Markel Fultz, a star player who's, team in co- his last team in college won, I think 10 or 12 games with the guy who would be the number one pick in the draft on their team. That was weird to me. I, you know, I know he's a local kid and I wish him the best. And he's, he's had a good comeback of his career, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me to do that. I thought Tatum was pretty good, but regardless, they did that. And you know, nobody objected to Fultz going one that didn't work out. The Sixers also at one point had Jimmy Butler on their team, but they also had Tobias Harris and all these other guys, and they decided they would rather spend, when it came time to, to to keep one, they kept Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler. That had nothing to do with the process. It didn't have to do with the process that Doc Rivers became the head coach. Doc Rivers, who, yes, he won a title with the Celtics, but overall has been has, has been a coach of teams that have just underperformed in the postseason. I saw a stat today. He is now 0 for his last five in Game 7s. Again, none of this had anything to do with the process. Now, I don't know what Sam Hinkie would have or wouldn't have done. But the fundamental point of the process was a victory. It did work. Because, again, the point is, you don't know how player evaluations are going to go, no matter what anybody says. And you take as many chances as you can. And from those chances, they ended up with Joel Embiid and... If you if you factor in Ben Simmons became Harden and I'm not a big James Harden guy, but I'm just saying he's obviously an all star player who once again came up short in a big game. You know they they got elite players out of this, and if in if Hinkie had done things a little bit differently, uh, then the the subsequent front offices chose to do with the assets he had, who knows where this would have gone? So you can say the Sixers failed if that's what you want to say, but the process. Did not, and I only say this because I don't have a clue what Josh Harris is going to do whenever he arrives here. I don't know if he's going to look at this team and say, You know what? I kind of think everything looks pretty hunky dory and things are on the same tr- on a good track. You know, maybe Sam Howell doesn't work, works or doesn't work, but you like the talent, like the pieces, things are heading in a reasonable direction. Or he might say, Well, you know. You, you can't win in this league without a quarterback. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to, you know, we'll, we'll keep the pieces we have with, you know, Terry McLaurin or John Allen and some of those kinds of guys. Maybe we'll keep some. Maybe we won't keep others. But we're going to put ourselves in a position to get a quarterback. There is no lottery in the NFL. That means you would have to, you know, go all the way down. And I know that some people will say that doesn't always work. And they will point to examples of quarterbacks or any top five pick that bombed and blah, blah, blah. This is how this works. If you want a shot at the better ones, you're gonna have to move up. Now, you could, of course, get lucky and find a Dak Prescott or a Kirk Cousins in the fourth round, and you know, give me a break on Tom Brady. We all know how of anomaly that was in the sixth round. You can do that, but the, the the chances of that working out are are massively slimmer than getting a top five or so pick and taking a quarterback, and that player works. Doesn't always work, but I'm just saying. But that's the more likely scenario. So. I don't know what Josh Harris will do. And what I respect about the Josh Harris situation with the Sixers is he even allowed it to happen. The fact that the process was going to be bad for day-to-day business and he and his uh, partners were fine with that, I think is pretty interesting. Again, it would have been better if it had worked for them in the, in the sense of they're making finals or making NBA titles or you know, they're making NBA finals or winning an NBA title. Sure, that would make life a lot better, but... Can't always do that. You know, go back to that famous game seven a couple of years ago, Toronto, Philadelphia, and Kawhi Leonard from the corner hits that shot that bounced here, there, and everywhere all over the rim and finally fell through. If he misses that, the Sixers are in the Eastern Conference Finals. And we're not having the exact same conversation that we are uh, now. Because the second round and the Conference Final, that's a big, big difference. But that's how it goes sometimes in sports. I think Capitals fans can understand what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's been a great ride with Ovechkin for all of these years. And, yes, there was one title. They're also, every other year, they didn't make it out of the second round. I mean, I, I'm not saying the title isn't great. Is it worth it all? Or can you say that a lot of it was a lot of underachieving? I think time, I think time will have a, an interesting view of that. But that's just my point. None of this is you can predict what's going to happen. Put yourself in the best position to contend and see. They did that with the process. Again, I'm not saying everything else they've done is ideal, but if you can get Joel Embiid, a guy like that, a top five player, a current MVP through that system, and then you have other assets that led to getting some of the other players that they have, I don't think that's a bad thing. But all these choices factor in together, and some of the ones that they did just clearly didn't work. Uh, to the way they wanted, but again, the process died in the 2015-16 season. This is 2023. This is not the same deal. You can say the Sixers failed, but you can't say the process failed. In my in my view. All right, that's it for me. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for the time. Uh, I'll get of course some guests on with me this coming week, and then we'll be getting ready for the um, trip to Minnesota the following week so that is it for now ben Standig signing off until next time
0: Football fans, This is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.